the experience I've had with the whole philosophy and working with different people in this in this space is there are pieces of human-centered design such as research and methodology. So before you go and complete a des- uh, let's say a process design or a product design, have people who are trained in research to listen, empathize, uncover the needs of the user first before you go building out some crazy thing because just because it's a beautiful engineering innovation doesn't mean you're really solving the user's problems, <laughs> right? You might be over-engineering something. So there's a research piece. There's a prototyping piece. Like Within this framework of human-centered design, you listen to the user, you empathize, you bring that information back. I'm Julie Clare, and this is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Arlene Mendoza, and we will be talking about what's so creative and compelling about human-centered design in the design world. Um, I recently met Arlene and we found ourselves just somehow going in that direction when we were talking and I invited her to the podcast. I feel really lucky to have her have her here. Um, Arlene's background um, is pretty incredible as a person being a global traveler um, for over a year teaching English to Italian diplomats to spending. Uh, so she's got this traveler, um, creative uh very open side to her, which is what immediately drew me to her. She also has 14 years background, recent background in the corporate nonprofit world as strategist and consultant and product developer. And I see she has a natural ability to be both analytical and creative and is really great at connecting the dots and observing patterns. Um, At the intersection, I would say of technology and emerging business models. Um, Today, Uh, There's all kinds of things I could say, actually. She has actually an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering um, and a master's in business from Mills College. So she's 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 considers herself. And we'll have to ask her, but she's not an artsy gal in a certain way. But um, when I talk with her, it's just like things open. And I got incredibly interested in what the possibilities of human centered design are in our current world. And one thing she recently said, um, I think this is almost a quote, is that the method of human-centered design challenges the historical process of product innovation in pretty interesting ways. Um, So let's just jump in. There's all kinds of things uh, we could talk about. She's done lots of, um, spoken at lots of leadership conferences um, and um, currently works actually at Aluma. Is that how you Mm -hmm. say it, Arlene? That's right. and um, as product manager where she works with state, county, and local government uh, agencies and partners to improve access to healthcare, food assistance, and other public programs um, so that all people are eligible for support. Um, all of them that are eligible can get it. So um, we're just going to jump right in. Uh, welcome, Arlene. Hello. Glad, glad to be here, and thank you for the invite. Ah, you're so welcome. <laughs> what do you think? What what brings you? Give us a little background. Why are why are, is it that you are going to talk to me about human centered design, given you haven't actually studied yeah. it directly as your professional background? What, what is it that has your interest in? Who are you in terms of all that? Oh my gosh, that's a, 
Well, that is a good question and such a broad question. Um, for the longest time when I was younger, I had a fascination for understanding how things worked. And I remember when I was, gosh, probably like six or seven years old, my dad had an old typewriter, like those old with the keys and the ribbon. And I took it apart. And purely for the understanding of what was inside and understanding how all the little screws fit together, how did the keys, like, how is it that when you, when your finger does something, there's a behavior, then it hits the ink and then it goes on the paper. I was fascinated with that concept of understanding. And so for my whole life, I've had this innate curiosity of understanding how things work, which led me to think about, well, maybe, you know, engineering and analytical work, that's a fun thing to, to know and understand. But as I've evolved and understood different facets of myself, the, the travel, the love for people, the love for cultures, the love for science, the love for beauty in all forms, you know, um, art represented in all forms. Um, I think it, it naturally, I lent myself into understanding um, especially in my, in my own career, how does design, and I know that's a big word, but how is it that design influences what we do, what we deliver to clients, how we do it, how we say it, how we visualize it, um, and what's missing? Um, I think I'm also wired to be the type of person that's like, what's missing from this equation? Um, and through a series of, of many, many events, I landed on um, a company called IDEO many years ago, um, founded here in the Bay Area. I'm from California um, and was fascinated with these engineers who started a company. And although human-centered design has been around for many, many years, more than, the, more than the company has been around, I think they did a really fascinating job of taking a methodology and providing some type of um, informing the product um, community on how to you how do you provide expansive thinking, some structure and some discipline to think of things that y you had never imagined from the user's perspective. Mm, let me jump in there. I, see, when you talk, it, I'm totally I'm totally <laughs> listening. I'm so interested. At IDEO, um, that's a big, big uh, company. A lot of us know of it. Um, we, I don't know. I think of it as being just very innovative. So the word innovative comes up, right? And this is a podcast talking to creatives and your background is in engineering, right? But when I talk to you, I feel myself just opening up and my imagination and opening up like you were talking like a creative. So one of the things I saw when I looked up human-centered um, design, I'm just going to throw this into the space here, um, like definitions off the internet, yeah. right? Like, what is it? So I'm curious what you would say about this. And some of this comes from IDEO. So I looked up IDEO. I don't know how you say that. IDEO. Oh, yeah. Right? IDEO. Yeah. IDEO. It says human-centered design lies at the intersection between empathy, creativity, and business needs. Mm. Mm. That was pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I and it says designing with the end user, not only for the end uh and it talks about uh, not only about let's see direct engagement with people who use the product. They're big on that, right? Really getting direct. But I love that. What do you think about that? Empathy, Ooh. creativity, and business needs. I love that you're bringing that the definition up. I hadn't heard it in that way, and um, 
but I also I want to pick up what you're saying around the what you also mentioned about the user. Um, one of the things yeah. I've observed um, is how many times in the world, I mean, in the in our everyday interactions with any product, desks to shoes to you know um, cooking tools to to whatever it is, cars, right? Whatever it is. Sometimes things might feel a little clunky. And what human centered, well, the whole, not just IDEO, but the whole philosophy, what really drives me and encourages me and excites me and inspires me is that empathy piece, which is let's shift the way we think about designing for people. Uh, and it's really not that breakthrough, but then it, it you know, but I guess it kind of is that, well, wait a minute, let's understand the user. But let's not start mm. <laughs> with, and I've sat in rooms and I've been around individuals, extremely intelligent analytical individuals who come up with these brilliant engineered solutions, which is beautiful and brilliant in and of itself, but it's in a silo. And so the human-centered design philosophy and methodology takes it and says, wait, this is great engineering community. However, what are the needs of the user? What is what is what is what does he or she need? How do they use it? What are the barriers they have in using it? And so it flips the model in terms of how you think about providing something of value. And again, it can be a product, it can be a service. Um, think of when you go and like you book an Airbnb or you book an Uber or 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 right. you use Venmo, that is an experience for you as you click the color, the flow, the ease, the anticipate, you know, um, and they designed that with you in mind first. Um, and so for- So ideas, Arlene, ideas like user-friendly or um, even ergonomics or did yeah. those come out, do you think of the human-centered design or is human design a much bigger container or field? Does it challenge thinking in a bigger way than those kind of things? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one piece um, because IDEO has work. I mean, ergonomics is one piece of it, but the experience I've had with the whole philosophy and working with different people in this, in this space is there are pieces of human-centered design such as research and methodology. So before you go and completed as let's say a process design or a product design have people who are trained in research to listen empathize uncover the needs of the user first before you go building out some crazy thing because just because it's a beautiful engineering innovation doesn't mean you're really solving the user's problems (laughs) right you might be over engineering Mm. something so there's a research piece there's a prototyping piece like within this framework of human-centered design you listen to the user you empathize you bring that information back you build out a prototype and the prototype could be a sketch you know it could be a drawing it could be a whiteboard, it could a whiteboard sketch. It could be, you know, something that's built out of paper, right? So it's just something to demonstrate the proposed solution, and then you iterate, right? So the whole thing is listen, build, listen, build, listen, pivot, listen, design, redesign, um, and always keep your user at the front end, 
right? Always designed you, for them, not for, not for the cool, you know, uh, tech, I mean, technical is part of it, but technical, I see it as a secondary. Do you think it, it gives the creative mind more room in design? I mean, design we think should be just creative, right? But a lot of it is not necessarily. I mean, historically, how would you yeah, jump into found, that? So one of the beautiful things I have found with the different practices and the different tools available within this methodologies are, yes, it provides structure for creativity and it provides, um, so, so let me give you an example that's so simple. When I started to learn and understand what happens in this field, there was a question that was posed to me to be, to be expansive, to lead to expansive thinking. So to use the question, how might we? So instead of being in a group of people or talking to individuals, when, when you're brainstorming or when you're resolving conflict, I had a tendency to say, why do we do that? Why do you do that? Um, I would use why when I was asking a question. But the pure distinction between using why and how might we is more of an empathetic question. It's more of an inclusive question. And um, what I have found within this methodology is that it just, it invites, that's the word, it invites more expansive thinking with language, structure, processes. Um, yeah. Do you think that this language and this uh, saying empathy, how might we, do you think this, and use the word inclusive, right? Do you think it brings in a more awareness of something other than dominant culture? Do you oh, think it's more 100%. inclusive? And uh, yes, I would say the nature of using these, these, these tools actually will go against your own assumptions, right? Because we all, will, we, we all have biases, we all have assumptions. Um, but as you, if you can empathize and, you know, pull up that empathy muscle as you're using this approach and you're willing to listen, right? That's the other piece. You're willing to listen to your user. You will uncover needs of your user that you may have never considered. You may have never once. Here's a great example where I work at Aluma. Um, so we have a human-centered design uh, a lead on our team. And she did interviews with um, eligibility workers that were supporting um, mainly women uh, apply for food benefits, food stamps, food benefits. And we all had the assumption, or at least I did, um, how to improve the technology, how to improve integrations, how to make the, the online form easier to use. And as she sat and listened to the challenges the eligibility worker was having in signing women up, she discovered, no, it's not if you make a faster, easier um, form, it's actually if you make it shorter, because what they had found is women come in tired, stressed, they are working multiple jobs, they have more than one child, they don't always have access to childcare, and they can't be sitting with an eligibility worker you know, for more than, say, 30 minutes to fill in an application. 
So it's not that it had to be technolog technologically advanced. It's just that the duration of the application was too long. So the problem truly was not what we had thought it was, right? It was that there was a time constraint on our user. Mm. Um, and so that was an assumption that was, for me, it was challenged, it was eye-opening. Um, and the human-centered design approach created or allowed for our researcher to go in and sit and listen and listen. And some people can say, it takes too much time. It's a waste of time. You're, you know, we've got resources, we've got deadlines, we've got budgets. Like, <laughs> um, so it's always a balance, I think, <laughs> of, of sitting and listening to your user, finding those nuggets, and then incorporating that information into your product design or changing your product design or changing, um, be willing to change and pivot based on new information that you're going to constantly be getting back. So do you think that the human designer, I mean, I, I, I'm really interested in that when you say the word listening, mm -hmm. um, it seems like, especially in this country, it's, we're so in love with our own voices. It's like to so much of my work is creating spaces where we listen to ourselves and we can um, witness others uh, in safe spaces, right? With the artwork yeah. and the intuitive painting stuff and, and coaching. And so here I'm thinking the work world, right? Deadlines, mm -hmm. money, budgets. Mm -hmm. And you're like, now we really need to listen in, a, in another way. That's not just about us. That's really about who we're serving. Yeah. Right. So this, yeah. I love the inclusivity part because I'm just wondering, I mean, how long has this been going on? It seems like, how could, I mean, it seems so obvious, I guess, to me, like, but it, is it groundbreaking still? I mean, is this a groundbreaking approach to say, actually, we can't just go and jump right into the solution. I don't think we really have a handle on what's going on here. Is that pretty revolutionary at this point still to bring that into these rooms where these uh, decisions are being made, do you think? Um, I think the landscape has absolutely been shifting. Um, I don't, I don't think this is groundbreaking. Uh, I'm honestly not quite sure how long the research has been around. I, I imagine 40, right. at least 40 or 50 years. I mean, by no means did IDEO invent any of this. I think they right. were able to create a commercialized business model around it, but um, it's nothing that they created. Um, absolutely enhanced it and, and I think have, have shifted it. But, um, you know, one of the things I've learned because I come from working at like a fortune 100 extreme, like what I have seen in, I, and I don't want to say old business, but I was working at uh -huh. a corporation yeah, yeah. that was a hundred plus years old. Right. So, so when wow. you think yeah. of, um, organizations that have had like think of like historically let's say like financial or um uh let's say you know oil and gas or petroleum or just kind of some old, some some businesses that have been around for 50 plus years and they've had some financial success and um shareholder success in a certain way of doing business right so so if you look at that that spectrum for 50, 60, 70 years, there's been success in a process that may or may not have always taken into account the user to the extent that I would like to, right? Like, or, or the human-centered design would consider success, but, but there's been a success metric, right? And 
people in general, I have found, um, it's almost as if the your your way of thinking shifts. You know, when my mom was mm-hmm. five or ten, or maybe even twenty years old, she didn't even. I talked to her, and she's like, "I didn't even know I had certain options." And again, it's the mindset. I think it's just the cultural shifts that happen. Where now that we're, in my opinion, now we're at this intersection where there's a different way to. Um, customers and people, we have more of a voice as to what we want to ask for, right? We have more of an input. We have more feedback. We have more op- opportun- opportunity to say, yes, this works. No, this works. Yes, I'm going to buy that. No, I'm not going to buy that. We have more options. And so I think there's a bunch of different um, reasons for why this human-centered design has or hasn't been adopted. It also is a very, um, it can feel ambiguous, uncertain, and messy right, to do this more creative process. There have been moments where I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. What insights are we getting? Like, what what am I even doing, right? Because it's the creative, in my experience, the creative piece, the trying to find this, the wisdom and the nuggets in a bit of a nebulous, <laughs> like, it can feel disorienting. It can feel like I'm spinning my wheels. And, um, and so I, think that there's this tension between nebulous uncertainty unknown and in the business world that that uh nebulous uncertainty unknown can be risky for businesses right right because you are being tied to a quarterly you know we were on quarter by quarter metrics um you're reporting financials out we were reporting them every week back to corporate i mean so, so the rigidity and the um, the risk factor, um, it didn't always give us time, and um, and I found I, I found myself a bit isolated when I was trying to pitch some of the more human centered design um, activities, and I felt a little bit isolated where people were like, she's she's just gonna try it. We don't know what Arlene's doing out there in California, you know. <laughs> Um, and so I think there's also a bit of, um, the timing, um, the timing of, of this, this approach and methodology. Um, and you also, I I think you have to have individuals who are willing because it's not always going to work. It it might fail, right? Like that's the other piece. Like this is great. Yeah. What does failure look like? That was one of my questions. I was curious. What does failure with this look like? Oh, it it can look in a bunch of, I mean, it can look in like, like what I was saying with you a little bit earlier, where you can have assumptions, be building a process, be building a product. And then when your team does the research or the interviews or some feedback that they're getting, it could say, you could be like, no, um, the year off, like we might have to scrap this or um, change it or shit. It could also be, um, Wait, is that a failure or is that a success of the fact that you caught it before the product went all the way through? Yeah, um, totally, totally. So is the failure just that the human design might point out to errors that are going on? Or I'm just curious, or does the Mm. human, uh, have you seen the human design process ever get too, um, too labored or kind of run adrift? Or is it pretty much always been helpful? Um, in your experience where you've been towards the success of the products? That's a 
good question of what does failure look like? Because um, I'm wondering if people even are on the, if you have some people who aren't into the process and some people who are, if, there, if there's a tension within a company, could, oh, it, could failure be partly not everybody being on the same page so you're kind of um, pulling on opposite ends of the rope? Um, completely, yeah. I mean, yes, I would say... Um, I wonder if uh, here, maybe here's one thing that I'm thinking about that if you're not clear up front of what it is you're working to, like, what is it you're like, you don't just want to apply this just to apply this for the sake, you know what I mean? Just because, Hey, let's just be creative. Um, sometimes in the way it can get communicated or messaged, it's like provide the context of why you're doing this, you know, and provide, um, definition about we have a, t a deadline of 12 months or you know eight months to deliver something we're going to do x y and z I, I would say lack of planning and lack of um of um thinking of integrating how human-centered design is going to impact your um your product life cycle like for example um I've worked with designers and I've worked with engineers and I've worked with business people and I've worked with marketing people. Um, and I have learned, I cannot talk to a designer with, with kind of this, my normal day to day, like um, I would say engineering mind sometimes because we might miss each other. So I have had failures hundred percent in, my language in my um, interpretations. Um, so I, I would say there's a definitely a culture shift of, um, because my brain is wired a certain way. And when you're, when you're doing these cross-functional teams, designers and engineers, um, the tension can, and the failures can be in communication. Um, it can be in, language it, like the word prototype so at Aluma one time mm -hmm. I had prototype you talk to a software developer he or she might think it's code and then my the, my one coworker was like no a prototype can just be a wipe it could be a it could be something a sketch on a napkin Arlene but see that was the disconnect and so <laughs> um and so there's um I have failed at that sounds, I have totally failed it's not it sounds like there's like it sounds like there's a almost a, a commitment to um, opening up the process and not, um, I don't know, I just keep getting the sense that it's an opening, that's mm -hmm. saying we need to open our communication a little, we need to reimagine uh, prototype. So failure might be um, maybe sticking, not realizing that we need to shift the way we're speaking to include others in the room even, it sounds like. Completely. Um, I mean, I think that. So it's how we talk, maybe even part of it. It, right? it completely um, is how we talk. And I think the other interesting piece is. Um, I love so much um, the way our designers think about problem solving because it's so counter to mine. Right. Like it's so I can be linear and I default toward. But but I see the designers as being 
horizontally expansive. And the way they, they ask the questions and they think and they consider all of these variables and inputs, um, but I need to slow down. So my failures have been around move faster, let's figure this out. And they're like, Arlene, slow down. You, you haven't considered X, Y, and Z. Um, so, and you know, I just had this thought about what you were saying about why hasn't this taken off more in business? And I think it has, however, to research something, build a prototype, iterate, feedback on the user, iterate, it takes time. And so a lot of um, companies, this might, Im it may or may not um, increase the product life cycle, right? So increasing a product life cycle results in driving up cost. And so I think there's a, there's a, which goes back to how do you integrate the human-centered design process into a product life cycle without trying to change the timeline too long because that driving up the cost right. can then make senior leaders say, why is this so expensive? No, oh, I get it. I get the challenges, but it seems like there are these companies that come in now um, and that you've been exposed to that are committing to it, right? And they're known for it and they're doing really well. Oh. So when, when, you, when you use words like, uh, you know, it's more nebulous, um, you've got to, you know, it opens up the, the process a bit in terms of research and uh, prototyping and um, expanding the way we're even imagining, like, wait a minute, who is going to use this really getting more empathy it sounds to me like the world we're in, right? Things are kind of collapsing left and right right now. Um, what does business look like in this new world? Um, how do we do this for the environment going through what it's going through? Um, so all these big questions about, okay, we're in totally unknown territory. If we keep doing business, I mean, how I think of it is if we keep doing business the way we have been, we're just, we're not going to be able to be flexible enough to stay afloat, right? Oh, yeah. So. I'm imagining this has got to have something to do with so sustainability, I think is what, you know, and, um, and then I'm curious about the inclusivity. So I don't know what that brings to you, but um, it seems like there is, um, I don't know that this is going to be more and more and more. I mean, it has been right, but yeah. actually even economically required maybe. Yeah. You know, I have, what excites me, what excites me. And then I'm also, um, curious and at the same time is using this this approach and this I call, I call it a philosophy you've got to tame your ego <laughs> like so you have mm -hmm. to suspend the judgment yeah and we're myself included like we're not trained to listen right like we not one course in elementary school, undergrad, graduate, like have I ever, even communications courses I've taken, um, executive communications course, like I just recently have in the last five, six years learned like how critical the listening is, right? And so this philosophy makes, invites you to slow down, but the whole academic infrastructure of our country and even our social media, right? It's like, check me out, check out who I am <laughs> um, yeah. versus listen to one another without judgment, right? 
Um, and so I think you're right. Like this philosophy for me is just so, it's so a part of me um, in terms of what, you know, sustainability, in terms of um, racial equity, you know, in terms of all these, you know, think of all of these dynamics of our healthcare, of our finance system, of Wall Street. I, I mean, you, I could go on and on and on, right? Um, but there's a lack. Human-centered design will work to the extent that you are willing and wanting to slow down and listen. Because then you uncover yeah, just, just some incredible that. insights that that you may have never even considered, right? You just... So under... Underneath it, there sounds like there's a bit of a, when I, when I just heard you, what came up to me was people matter. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. And I think of, and I think of underserved people and it's like, oh, when you start getting that a woman going for this application or this process with whatever bank or DMV or whatever, if they don't, if really it's not going to be comfortable to be sitting more than half an hour because of life's flow and, you know, it's like that, that's a huge difference. Um, to get that and to tailor that. So then the people can be involved in the processes that are supposed to be set for them, right? That's what the applications are for. So I hear that. Um, so equity and human-centered design. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm mm-hmm. also curious about as a creative, a lot of creatives go into design. Yeah. I know you're the engineer gal, right? But you're very um, super open and, <laughs> and creative and uh, loves the ambiguous and loves this blank page kind of thing. I see it, I feel it. Um, do you think creatives are happy? Do you see, is it, is it too hard to say, but are they happier in their jobs as designers when they're involved in a human uh, centered design? Is there, can, do you get a sense of satisfaction in the process from designers or is it just, cause I think a lot of creatives have to keep a lot of that love of complexity out of their jobs. <laughs> um, no. But I hear the possibility for it to enter in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I guess I would say I don't know uh, because, I mm-hmm. again, I don't come from the design world or I don't really know what, typical, right. what a typical design um, responsibilities would Mind be. And, and design still, yeah. I mean, you have visual design, you have process design, you've got graphic designers. I mean, right. you have a lot. Design encompasses many, 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 many facets, right? Um, so I don't quite know how to answer that. Um, and I don't know, yeah, to say, are they more satisfied in one way or another? Um, and the projects that you feel proudest of, do you think they had more to do with the human um, process design, human-centered design? Um, yeah, I think that... Um, Some of the projects I'm most proud of had maybe not all the elements um, of the pieces, but back to your point, we had people matter on those projects. And because people mattered, we were able, because people mattered and we used some of the processes and some of the tools under the umbrella of human-centered design, people trusted each other and we were able to create and resolve conflict and just problems that happen on projects in more creative ways. Um, mm. So that's, that's what, and you know, I love what you say about people matter because 
I care about everybody on the team. I care about the receptionist. I care about the janitor. I care about someone who's making my food. Like, yes, I care about the engineers and our market, what our teams and, you know, developers. That's, but like on the spectrum, I just believe people matter. And I feel that you're right. The human centered design at the, at its core holds that. As, as absolute truth. It's kind of neat, isn't it? I wonder um, where you're sitting. Uh, do you feel this is going to get, you know, in, included more in, in, do you think this is going to get bigger and bigger, the human center design? Do you think just where you are sitting in these rooms or you're, you know, developing these processes, uh, do you think it's it's going to get more and more crucial as we face this climate um, breakdown? Like just a lot of breakdowns yeah. <laughs> we've got going right um, now. I think the need for the skill set of empathy is the greatest need. Um, I know you were saying earlier, I like that it was the intersection of empathy, creativity, and business needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe it starts with empathy. Um, and the willingness for us to observe one another. Um, so I would say yes, very much so a need and a demand. Um, and I'm curious because as I've, so I've been um, observing a lot of culture conversations in and te- in, in just, I, I like, I'm from the Bay Area, right? There's just a lot of conversations on diversity and tech and culture. Um, and it's a very challenging landscape um, for people of color, for women. It, it can be a challenging, I should say. So I'm curious where and how the human-centered design methodologies, where they scale, um, where people are willing to take risks to disrupt status quo. Um, mm-hmm. and I wonder if it's, I'm wondering if there's a relationship between design and business models, because this is where I start thinking, this is great, right? Human centered design is great. I, I love it. I'm a believer. I, I use it, exercise it and incorporate it. Um, and yet, am I going to be constrained by the actual business model? Because and is that what we need to disrupt, right? But right. Got it. So how much how much might this need or might be possible for this to enter in actual business models of what we consider uh, financially viable or even successful, right? What we even consider the bottom line. That's kind exactly. of what I hear. This gets quite radical. So, so I believe in challenging <laughs> what you're just saying right now. Right now, there's a share, there's a stock price, you know, and it's 40 bucks. And that CEO is being have to increase stock within five years by 20%. But why is that the metric, right? Like, because if you're just going to drive a stock up, might one strategy might be just cut costs. That's a simple, easy strategy people do, right? But, and again, it's a financial incentive. Um, but what what is it that we're measuring as success in the U.S. and why? Um, and again, I would even push it to, um, goals within organizations, nonprofits, 
businesses, uh, social sector, uh, all the different, you know, um, why aren't we measuring collaboration? You know, why aren't we measuring empathy? Um, because the outcome of those is going, from what I've seen, it can drive profit, right? But all we do is we drive the profit. We don't really care how you get there. I get it. Well, these are these are changing times. I would like to leave it there and put that as a big question is how might, um, and I'm curious what human design, human-centered design might have to do with that shift. Um, you know, if we are, if it does, uh, number one is empathy, like we were talking about is one of the main qualities needed for that model. It's like the more we build empathy, um, I wonder how that affects how we look at the business equation of what is, um, you know, not just how fast or, you know, how, how we look at profits, how we look at um, success. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want to throw out there um, before we, I know um, you've got another thing to go to here. Is there anything else you'd like to put out there before we complete? I, it feels like we've opened up a great territory here. Thank you for jumping in with me. Human centered design. Um, thank you, Arlene. Anything else you want to throw in there? Or? Um, I get one thing I, I want to throw in there is I did not believe in my own creativity for a long time. I, um, and yet, as I've gotten older, I draw and I collage and I crochet and I, I, I like this label of creative or artist or designer or analytical. I feel like it can, it can silo us in a dangerous mm -hmm. way. Um, and I'd like to offer and invite people to, to explore and dabble in any and everything. Um, and expand our our own labels to say like art and design and creativity shows up in many forms um, and, and don't be afraid to reach across the aisle to ask and stay curious about somebody else's experience that's beautiful I'm right there with you I hear the um, the breaking down of walls that separate us there, that um, I'm not the artist, I'm not the creative, you are, I'm not the designer, you are. Well, it turns out this is going to greatly impact my engineering, and I, I actually can think about people. I can I can think uh, like a designer here a little bit. Um, I can let that in, if nothing else, yeah. right? I can. On both, uh, yeah, I can let all of it in. You know, I can be doing calculus one day, and I can be learning how to watercolor the next day and they both actually inform one another like there's mathematics in design and without the creativity of that artist's mind you're you might limit yourself in the type of equations you're solving or the type of problems you're solving with those equations right so like i really believe it's all connected and i think that historically academic institutions have siloed it and then giving you a grade on like your piece of art, but I don't know. I just see more possibility. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Arlene. And thank you for taking time with us and jumping in with me. Uh, quite brave, really. No, um, thank you. And wonderful. Absolutely. We'll put in, in the liner notes, any uh, references you have if people want to learn more about 
uh, some of what we've talked about today, maybe some human-centered design uh, uh, learning places, or we'll just see what we come up with. Um, but that's it. Take care. Wonderful. Yep. Thank you so much. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to thank you for listening, and I invite you to tune in again. You can listen to more of these interviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Ghana, or my website. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching for creatives on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.